Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. So first of all, Matt, I want to thank you for not only coming on today, but for serving on the school board, because I am sure that is a job that comes with a lot of backlash. And I'm guessing the average person that reaches out to you isn't to thank you what you know, thank you guys for what you're doing um, to send a friendly message. It's probably a lot of complaints um, that you are having to navigate. So thank you for taking that role. And my my first question would be, what prompted you to run for the school board? Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you saying all that. Um, I do. I do frequently say that, you know, sometimes just just like any job, it's 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 not always a picnic or, you know, it's not always a, a great time. Although it is for me, it's community service. And I've always been sort of a service oriented person. So I, that, that's what I lean on personally. If things, if things feel difficult or if, my, if it's kind of heavy is um, it's, it's, it wasn't something I did as a hobby or for fun. It was something I did because I, I thought that somebody needed to, and then I thought that I would be able to. And so it's service, but um, you know, what led me into it was, on my own, our own situation, I got, I got into, I got started to pay attention to schools during the pandemic, like practically everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. We have school age kids. Uh, ours are in high school or my oldest is now out of high school. But, um, you know, just uh, as, as kids went into distance learning and that whole time was so difficult, my wife and I were at home and really just watching our kids, what we considered to be languishing at home and, and, and feeling kind of powerless to fix that. Um, we, we got connected on social media mostly because at the time that was about all you could do and with a, a lot of other people in the community and everybody, you know, there were not everybody, but certainly lots and lots of us were feeling frustrated with that situation. And we were worried about our kids and, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Over the course of that time, it started to make sense to me to get involved. And uh, I sometimes think it's crazy, but it wound up being that uh, we decided, we being my wife and I, I decided, but, you know, with her support to to run for school board. And we did in 2021, and, and I actually won. So that's what got me into it. Yeah, I was actually in the sauna this morning at the Y uh, talking with, a friend uh, about the fact that I would be having a conversation with you today. And she was like, you know, I didn't pay attention to uh, school policies and and the school board and things until the pandemic. And so you mentioned that. And I think that was very true for myself and a lot of other people. That was the time when people just started paying closer attention because we saw things that were happening on the macro level really affect the micro in our own backyards. And wanting to dig in a little bit deeper as to who is making decisions, how are they being made, and what kind of say do we have as parents? Yeah, same exact experience, right? I, I, throughout, throughout our kids' time in school, um, certainly in my, in my case, my wife paid a lot more attention to it than I did. Um, And, um, and but neither of us were incredibly focused on it. We didn't know who who was on the school board. We didn't know who the people were. We we never looked at a policy, you know, right. of any kind right. or anything. And so I think we just had this experience that I perceived many 
many still have, to be honest, where it's not that I want to say no news is good news, but if you're getting feedback from school that everything is normal, then, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you, you, there's a lot of things in life to worry about. So, I, and I think we all just, we, we dream of that, right? We just, we want our kids to do well and we want school to be a happy thing in a positive place. And when right. we feel like it is, we, we, we go put our energy into somewhere else. And, you know, there's like this trust that got built up over many years that, um, school's a safe place for kids. School's a positive place for kids. And, you know, don't get me wrong, in many respects it is. Um, and there are, schools are full of people who devote their whole life to the upgrade, bringing an education to kids. And these are people, these are people who do it for the right reasons because right. They, they love it and it was their dream profession. And, you know, every one of us knows who those people are, whether they're teachers or administrators. And so, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, that trust is there. It's it's that during the pandemic, we also saw some other things that I think most of us didn't know or understand. And to be clear, in my opinion, a lot of the things we saw that we didn't like have changed in the very recent uh, past. So it's, you know, for me, my kids started school. My oldest is about 20. So even when, when he started school, we didn't everything. I don't know. We, did, we didn't perceive some of the dangers that we perceive today. You know, if I were a, a parent with kids now, I would be looking at things differently than I was then because things aren't the same as they were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I think it's something I hear from a lot of people that I never paid any attention. And then I, I don't know, for whatever reason I did during the pandemic, and now here I am. Right. And it was 2020 when we went to online learning. I was still teaching at the time in high school. And then my son was in kindergarten. And so getting him to try to do his schoolwork virtually and to keep up with these things and sit in front of a computer, you know, a six-year-old boy, that that was just not happening. And I felt for all the teachers. I was one at the time myself. And we were fighting a losing battle. And we had frustrated students. Um, and, and, and we were frustrated. Most of us were learning this digital platform uh, along with our students because we weren't prepared for it. Um, and so I actually made the decision. I was in the process of considering leaving teaching to do um, step in my publishing career full time. And then when that happened, it was like, well, this is a clear sign that I'm going to stay home. And I homeschooled the kids for that following year. Um, it was both the the uh, distance learning and uh, the mask policy that weighed heavily into that decision. And so uh, it was a gift of a year. Um, it was a lot of work. It was a lot to figure out. And they definitely went running back to school the following year to see all their friends. But um, yeah, I had that opportunity to do so. And Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for most people. And so we were having to to deal with all of it, the masking, the, the distance learning, um, and it was a rough time. And so, you know, I, I know that has been an issue. And as you've said, we've seen some things change uh, recently. But what issues are you currently seeing from the community that come up predominantly? Yeah, um, uh, there's a few. Um, academic performance um, you know, if it's measured by the, the various uh, exams and tests, state testing and things, is, um, is declining, has declined significantly. Um, 
I guess and, I would say there's a portion of the community that knows that, and there's a larger portion of the community that does not know it. And is that is the is the trajectory of the the, the grades? Does that coincide with? Uh, the lockdowns in 2020, or has this been a growing trend over time? It's it's a bit of both. Okay. Um, the the lockdowns for sure accelerated that. You know, yes. um, we think that was predictable, and it was. I don't know if it was better or worse than people thought. Um, I thought it was going to be bad when they suggested it, and it was bad. So for sure that. Um, but it, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it was either stagnating or in, depends on the school and the school district. But in in many ways, um, the, the, there were there was a trajectory that was already heading down. Hmm. It's been impacted by a number of different things that have been put in put in place or that have been become focuses in schools, and it's really complicated and difficult. But but the first is is just that I would say, and something that I think is uh, is surprising or interesting to me is. And, I, and I, I haven't figured it out yet what why this is, but I really think a lot of people don't know it or they know that testing is poor, but they think it's not their kid. Mm. So if, if 50% of our kids can't read and write, it would make sense that about half of us would be pretty frustrated. Right. Uh, but, but you know, I, I sometimes I have a hard time finding the parent who thinks that it's them. You know, so like I just think about it all the time. If I look down my street, there must be half the families must be in, in, in tough shape. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the case, depending on your neighborhood, but I'm just saying that, um, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that are not proficient in reading, for instance, at, um, in, at their grade level. And I don't think parents understand that, no, actually, it's your kid. Um, it, it has to be, statistically, has to be some of our kids. Right. right. So, um, so anyway, that's a big concern. And is that concern coming from the community? Um as much as from like the the staff or does it seem to be like the staff and the 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 board is pretty well aware but the community is a little bit um in the dark so to speak about where we're at academically i i believe the staff and you know and the the board are aware because we you know we we get the most direct we see that we see the results Um, it's interesting because um, as that has happened, and I'm, I'm new, so I, I don't have 20 years of history of how people reacted to tests or not. I've, I've, since I've been involved in this, I, I'm, a, I'm a person who likes to learn. I consume a ton of information. I'm trying to, I'm in a, I'm in a totally foreign place as far as being in the schools. I didn't grow up in education. I don't claim to be an expert of any kind in education, but I've done a lot to try to inform myself. Mm-hmm. And what I'm what I'm seeing that is uh, that I don't like is that you know people want to dismiss the test. That there's a lot of reasons they want to say the tests are invalid and they don't matter. Um, at the same time, it's the only measurement we we actually have. So I don't know how you I don't really know how anybody could want to or would would dis- decide we're gonna um, we're gonna ignore the test. You know, you could you could make some kind of a correction if you want. You could say that. 100% of kids are never going to read at grade level. Therefore, a really good result is 80% or something. I mean, I don't like that idea because mm-hmm. because I, I think of, well, what if my kid was, was one of the 20%? But I just mean that there, there's no matter what that test has value, in my opinion, and some, and some want to dismiss it, there are people that don't even want to do testing anymore. And I don't know what you do then. How do you, how do you have any barometer where people well, are? 
that's what I was going to ask because you know, with testing, of course, it's a it's a snapshot of their learning, and there's so many factors that can contribute to a bad test that day. You know, kids come in and they're they're hungry, or they've they're coming off of some sort of situation at home, and their brain is elsewhere, um, and it's a day or two where um, they have to show their learning, and they can be off, just as any of us know. Has has there been any proposal as to um, a more uh, kind of holistic measure of measurement of learning as opposed to those standardized tests? Not, not that I see. Okay. I, mean, I, I see the tests and I see the problems that get raised related to the test. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Those problems to me are as old as education. There's always been tests and that problem has always existed. Right. I, I myself who I wasn't like what I would call a distinguished scholar, but I was a, but I was a, by far a, an above average student. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I went to a, a really good college. I got in there, you know, things like that. And um, I, I always thought, geez, I'm a poor test taker. I, I felt that way. I still feel that way. But yet when the time was, was needed, I, I, I guess I put together that I got good grades and I, and I, you know, I obviously got yeah. a score on the SAT that afforded me to get into the school I want to go to. So I just mean that, you know, I've always felt like I could have done better on tests on a certain day, but, you know, over time, uh, it didn't, it didn't play out. So maybe, maybe that's something to look at. I really, I really don't have a perfect answer to a better way to measure it, but in absence of a better way, I feel that tests have to be included in it. And so you just simply can't take a look at the, where we are and say, that doesn't matter. Um, That has to be concerning. I think it's in part because education has gotten very difficult right now. There are social problems that have that are that are in school that make educating kids hard, mm-hmm. and um, I, and I know that. And so, there of course you know somehow people would just like any of us would take a look at the effort that they're putting in and the result that's coming out. And if they know they're working really hard but the result isn't really good, there's this human tendency to want to say there must be something wrong with the evaluation. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. Uh, I think I think it's also possible that there's something wrong, not with an effort. I don't think this, I've never thought this was an effort problem, but I think there's a lot of things that are being emphasized and focused on right now in school that um, need to be rethought to just, just really zero in and focus on academics. For me personally, if I have my own goal, it would be that. It would be to say, we're going we're gonna to for sure put a real sharp focus on academics because that's the whole reason schools exist, academics. And, and there's, it's such, yeah, it's such a life skill to learn how not only to perform under pressure, but to um, to study and set a goal and work toward that goal. And so uh, I think the value of tests goes far beyond just the results that you get. I think it's the practices that, you know, it offers the students and some of those life skills that they're going to have to apply no matter what type of career they take on in the future. Yeah, you know, and, and forcing you to, to review and study the material. So I guess I will I will add to that. In times when I've I, the, I, when I felt I did poorly on a test, I, I can, for instance, I can remember being back in college and and sitting alongside one of my good friends studying for an exam, and I taught him the material. Mm-hmm. And, and without a doubt, I mean, he told me I taught him. Thank you, my gosh, I was lost. Now I'm not. He went yeah. and he took the test. He got an A. I went and I took the test. I got a B. 
for whatever it was on that day, to your point, I didn't perform as well as I, I did. I, my performance didn't reflect what I knew. But you know what? I was in college and I still knew it. Right. So I didn't get the, maybe get the A, but I learned the material because I spent hours studying. And yeah. um, I guess I, I would say that, that, you know, um, and maybe that's people's point that the test doesn't reflect what kids know. But you just can't completely dismiss it. I mean, I didn't get to just say, "Well, you know, I should have been the, I should have been the, you know, honors graduate in my college because I, I could have done better on the. T- I did, but I didn't. You know, so there it is. Yeah, and I think it's just you know kind of common sense to acknowledge that there's going to be a, a margin of like error for whatever is going on on that particular day. But overall, if you know the material, you're not going to fail it. You're going to come in somewhere in that A and B range, and that's essentially what we want for our, our kids is to, to show a, a, a mastery of, or a knowledge of, of the basics that, that we need them to have. You spoke uh, a little bit about how, you know, the, you mentioned safety, and I'm always hearing that safety is the number one concern, both from parents and from um, educators. And there's been a lot of conversation as of late as to how safety seems less of a value in the school system where other initiatives might be taking precedent. And so I want to talk to you about school resource officers and the fact that these SROs are no longer in schools. Um, and it, if I'm correct, that is a state law, correct? That, that's a state change? The state, the, the legislature changed a law that um, that caused police departments and the sheriffs to to look at the law and say that it it uh, it is too risky for them to put their their officers in the schools. Mm-hmm. So the law didn't the law didn't say SROs can't be in school. The law said SROs what they're able to do in the context of school has changed in a way that made the police uncomfortable, too uncomfortable to put their officers in there for fear of both criminal and civil penalty. In an environment where in Minnesota and nationally, but for sure in Minnesota has been really difficult for police over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an unapologetic supporter of our police. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, police are in a, they're, they're, they've been, they've been, I'll call it abused. Uh, that's my word in the, in the last few years in our society and in, in Minnesota specifically. And so the legislator made these law changes, in my opinion, on purpose. Uh, there's been talk like it was by accident. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, I, I have a hard time with that. Um, I think that I think the people that made the changes were among the people who are more supportive of the idea of defunding police or villainizing them. And so they made changes that, you know, that would have impacted it. And I, and I get into specifics. I actually got pretty close to this topic. Um, it's an area of concern and I want the police in school. Yeah. And, um, and so they, yeah, the, the police started to feel like they didn't, they couldn't be there under, under the, under the law changes that happened. I would love if you could get into specifics. Do you have those? Yeah, I do. So um, the, what the law basically did was it, it made it so that it restricted um, basically 
it restricted what police were able to do in, in a situation. So specifically, like if a police officer goes to arrest you, for instance, um, they're going to they may they may they may grab you physically and and put handcuffs on you. Mm-hmm. Or if you are um, if you're in a fight with somebody, um, I don't imagine that you do that very much. I don't. But um, but if you're in a fight with somebody, that the police might need to physically separate you from the person, and that to do that, they have to put their arms around you and and and, and pull you away, for instance. And depending on the situation, you know, it might even get more violent than that. Imagine it's it can be tough. So. Yeah, there were restrictions on, on what they called. There were some of them were, um, you know, specific kinds of holds that they talk about, and this got a lot of press. And the people on the other side of this issue were just saying, "Oh, all we want to do is not let the police choke our kids." You know, like um, guys like me, Matt, who 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 want the police in school, we must want the police to be able to choke our kids. You know, it, it, this is the kind of rhetoric they use, and it's absurd. And so, you know, it, no, and um, one one legislator in particular said something. He had a quote about, you know, the reason he supported it is because he was trying to prevent a George Floyd-like incident from happening in our schools. And so, um, so you know, you got a good idea of where their head was at when they did it. But um, so it was it was about certain holds and you know, um, prone position or, or placing a, a, a person um, face down, um, you know, different things like that. But the other, they talked about something called compressive restraint. And a compressive restraint, you know, there's some legal definition to it, but it could be any time when you're when you're using pressure. Uh, so, like the bear hug that I talked about, which is not a chokehold, but right. would, would compress a person. Um, they couldn't do it. And so, what was really crazy about it was, they said that as an SRO, as a as an agent of the school district, who's you know contracted and hired as an agent or a uh, a contractor of the school, when they're acting. As an SRO in that capacity, they can't do that. They can't do these things. If a police officer came in off the street, you know, if you dial, if, if the, in fact, that SRO dialed 911 and said, I need a police officer to come here, that police officer now enters the school. They're not an agent of the school. They're not under contract. They're a, they're a law enforcement officer paid for by the city or the county. They can do, they have, they have the full ability to use all the force that a police officer normally would. So, so now you're going to say you're going to take a SRO who's a licensed and trained police officer. You're going to bring them into an environment they've spent years training to do something, and now all of a sudden they have to be asking themselves, "Wait, am I in my capacity here as an SRO? Therefore, I can't do some amount of the training that I have." Right. And that's where the liability and the issues are. Not just the liability. The other issue is you tell me how you are going to stop a fight between two people if you can't restrain them. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you like to be the person as it is, I wouldn't like to be the person whose job it is to do that. Thank God we have police officers who are willing to be that person. But now you're going to tell them, I'm going to put a lot of restrictions on you and what you're able to do to stop that. And, you know, you know, you're talking about elementary school, little children. That's one thing. But um, I'm, I'm a, I got a, I've got a six foot two, 200 plus pound son here. He's a great kid. He doesn't get in the fights, but. You know, if I was a police officer, I don't think I'd like to try to stop that kid by saying, oh, please stop that. Could you call over here? You know, this gets real. And um, so th- those are the reasons why the police, you know, through their attorneys and through their knowledge of the law said, we can't put ourselves in this environment. So if the SROs are, okay, so this not only changes, obviously, um not being able to have SROs, but very clearly what teachers are able and not able to do. And so I, I, when I was teaching in St. Paul, 
um, we had a lot of students who were in gangs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they'd come in gang colors. We'd have to send them home. You know, that wasn't allowed at our school. We had an on-staff bodyguard. And um, he was an absolute teddy bear until he needed to be tough. Uh, but there was one time where he was not, I, I couldn't find him. I think he was on lunch break, something, and a fight broke out in my classroom. And I, because I had such a good rapport with the students, I was trying to, you know, it, let me back up. Before the fight broke out, it was words, and you could tell a fight was coming. Yeah. So, I stood between them and I held my hands, you know, a wingspan space and they started moving closer and closer. At the end of it, I had one hand on one gentleman's chest and one on the other. I could feel their hearts pounding out of their chest. And I thought, oh gosh, I do not want to get in the middle of this. Even though, you know, I felt like they wouldn't do anything to hurt me. Um, As soon as I backed up, this started throwing. I was told after the incident that I should never get in the middle of a fight again, which, uh, you know, I'm a female. These are two uh, teenage males, fair point. But um, as an adult, especially somebody who's maternal, and I felt like these students were, you know, part of my kids, um, I couldn't just stand by and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And and that's what teachers are expected to do. And it is infuriating Mm -hmm. that there is nothing in place for us to intervene. Yeah, well, um, yeah, so you're right. So first of all, you're you're 100% correct that the same law also applies to any member of the staff. So the the law said that neither uh, an employee of the school district or an agent, you know, so so that's the first that is the next thing is that, you know, people in school are prevented from doing these things too, or at a minimum now you're subject to some legal interpretation, which has been pretty interesting to me because of course I'm exposed to the lawyers that we have and I'm exposed, I got exposure because I, I spent a little bit of time um, working in support of the police on this. So I got to hear from some of the different police groups and their attorneys and how they've interpreted the, the law. And, you know, the, then part, and then of course we all got to hear the governor and the attorney general, how they interpret. But, you know, another thing for people, so then, then, you know, the talking heads got the talking and it's just everybody's playing politics. But no, the reality is if you're one of the people that's really in the fray and you act, you are without a question at risk of a jury of your peers determining whether your actions at that time made sense or not. Mm-hmm. And um, when, when, the, when the law is increasingly being written, in such a way that it doesn't favor the, the you know the person who who's in the situation, it, it just gets pretty hard, and that's that's one of the things that's happened now. And yeah. It's happened in school just generally, right? I don't know of anybody who's supportive of corporal punishment in schools, but over time, it's gone from where teachers could act in a, I guess there's even a legal term for a local parentis, but they could act in that way as a, as a sort of a parent, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm a parent of teenage boys. Um, I don't, I don't beat, beat my kids. Okay. But, but there've been times as a dad, I had to get in between the two of them. Um, right. As my father did in between me and my three, bro- two brothers, you know, so yeah, you just have to take these actions from time. But over time, these laws have gotten more and more difficult, uh, and, you know, meaning you're definitely going to be scrutinized. Uh, everybody's going to take a judgment on what, how you decided to do what you did that day on the one hand. And on the other hand, the way that children are behaving in school is getting worse and worse all the time. 
Right. So you, you have this combination of things where it's like the behavior is, I mean, right, you said you're seeing gang activity. We know that there's been a murder in a school in Minnesota, all these things. And then at this, and then and that is coming at a time when police and staff are increasingly limited in what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. That I, I, the only, I hate to say it, but I say, I mean, I think we all can see the writing on the wall. I mean, actually, I think there were, after the murder happened, there were many people said, you could see this coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. And um, I just feel like, okay, so since that time, even we've gone, we've taken a step backward, not forward. Absolutely. And I think of, you know, even if for any parents listening, if you don't have a student, a, a kiddo who gets into fights and, and they're not naturally that kind of person, um, it's quite possible at any time a kid can get jumped. And if they get jumped by one kid or a, a group of kids, um, there's no adult that is within their legal right to intervene and protect your child. And that yeah. is so scary. Yeah. Be, be, uh, six to eight weeks ago, before I heard of the new law change, I personally was interested in, uh, in this in this safety and this violence problem in schools, and so I, I found myself wanting like I I wanted to go a different direction than 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 we're going, and so I was I was myself trying to say what could I what can I do as a school board member, not acting in my well I somewhat acting in my capacity as a school board member, but not acting as a school board. Because, because as one member of you, I don't have the authority to act on behalf of the school board. Ever. I have the authority to act on behalf of me. Mm-hmm. As a school board member, if the school board acts, we act all together. But I was like, I was, I was out. I was trying to seek out. Um, I, I, I wanted to. I attempted to speak to local law enforcement, and I did. I spoke to local elected officials, um, you know, the mayor, some other people, and tried to say, hey, what? I'm concerned about our kids in our schools. Um, I'm concerned that I hear from a lot of teachers that they're afraid to act. You know, they are, they're afraid they're going to violate the law in some way, and um, and it's going to you know either get them into, into civil or criminal trouble. It could cost them their job, et cetera. And so, like my thought was, maybe I get the county attorney together, maybe I get the local police chiefs together, and we and we just have a real conversation about how in our community are we going to enforce the law or how do we help enable teachers to understand what the limits are, et cetera, in some different way. Anyway, I, I didn't know where that was going to go, but I was really wanting to work on it. And then literally as I'm doing it, this new thing comes out where it's like the law has changed and it's gotten even more difficult. And so we're just in a, in my opinion, we're in a, we're in a pretty tough spot right now where for one thing that the SROs are not in our schools the law has changed with regard to what staff can do. It already was troubling. Then on top of it, there are policies that are in place that are affecting how people are being disciplined. And we should talk about that because there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's a whole history to that. And we've heard, we've seen examples of violence in our own schools. We've heard our, our friends and neighbors who are teachers. In my case, I've heard teachers come before the school board and administrators and tell us they're concerned, both from the standpoint of, you know, um, their, their own kids or whatever in the school and from, and from like the school as their place of employment, Mm. to your point, am I safe at my job? Right. When I go into my office, um, one of the things I I take for granted is that my employer is providing a place that is safe for me. 
I do not worry that I'm going to get in a fistfight in my office. It, I'm sure it always could happen, right? I mean, we've seen crazy things, over, but like I, I'm not worried that that might be. If I go into work today, there's a, there's a there's a reasonable chance I'm going to be involved in an altercation. Yeah, I don't have hundreds of kids in my thing, so I, I understand that. But right. safeness is part of my employer's thing, and so as a board member for for our, our schools, I, I feel uh, and and knowing that. The teaching profession has people right now that are leaving. Yeah. And, try, and, try, and knowing there's no way we're ever going to have the kind of schools we want if we can't staff them with awesome teachers. Absolutely. And knowing that the environment for the teacher is going to absolutely play a part in that. I think, wow, we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. But it's I, hard. I, I see conversations on Facebook frequently from teachers uh Friends, you know, people I'm friends with on Facebook who are also teachers, and just how the the burnout that they're feeling, and you know, that's teacher burnout. It's been a thing since teaching existed, especially by the end of the year. But um, it has been increasing in every year. I mean, it's not just all of these policies; it's uh, the amount of behavioral issues that they're having uh, in classrooms. And yeah, there's there's less and less incentives to retain really great teachers. And that in and of itself is a scary thought. It's, it's absolutely scary, you know, and um, I, I, like I say, if we, if we're going to change the trajectory of where schools are going, uh, you, you, you've got to have access to great teachers. Um, you always needed to have access to great teachers, but they, we have this hard problem in front of us. And then when I think about, well, the people who have have either a different, have an option. And, and, and unfortunately, you know what, I, I even hear from quite a few people who don't have an option, but they're still going to leave. Right. But, you know, like those, those who have an option, they're going to, they're going to do it. Right. If, if you have an option to start up. A, a company like you did and, and, and go after a different dream, you have that skill, you have whatever it takes to do that, that drive, you're doing it. And then now we've lost you as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in, in, in your prime of being one, right? And it's like, no, this isn't what we want. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I, I want to circle back to you were talking about how even the way that we discipline kids has changed. And, and I don't think I started to see it when I was teaching. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of how that has changed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember getting detention when I was in high school for chewing gum, for instance. So <laughs> think things have changed a bit since then. Um, yeah. So if you could speak to that, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, th- this is where this is where things get into the political realm. You know, to be honest, um, there was there is a big change that happened in the last five to ten years that um, kind of happened quietly that people don't really realize. But um, the the and and in Minnesota, well, it 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 started back when President Obama was in office, and the federal government, and and then after that, some state governments started to look at um, this. It's a concept called disparate impact. And so they, they look at um, racially, they look at the stratification of race in society and they look, they look for examples where the proportion of something happening to a certain racial group is out of proportion to their, um, to their composition of, of, you know, so like they'd say, 
okay, if you've got 20% white or black people and 80% white people, if you looked at crime, um, the, the arrests should happen proportionately to their the, the, the percent of the population. And so this, this idea um, also came into schools and, and said it, that if, if 15% of your population is, is black, then um, black children should make up no more than 15% of the population of children being disciplined. Mm. The, the, the flaw in that thinking is that, you know, you, you, you discipline or you arrest people based upon their action, not, not upon their, not based on their makeup, their racial makeup. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the, the federal governments decided, and literally, I mean, there were people in office who decided that the reason for that disparate impact was, was because of systemic racism. And this, this systemic racism idea um, started to brew uh, and, 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 and it really, um, it got exacerbated. And, you know, about three, four years ago in Minnesota, coming out of what the federal government was doing, they were pressuring states to not have this disparate impact. Um, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights uh, brought 40, over 40 school districts together, said, we've looked at your data and we've determined that your you have a disparate impact. You're 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 uh, disciplining uh, basically black or children of color at a higher rate than their proportion of the population, and um, we've determined it's because of systemic racism. Um, and that's a worldview. Um, and believe me, there are there are people on both sides and somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. But um, you know that was the determination. So what they did is they they, they forced school districts to take actions that would limit that. And if you think about it, if, 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 okay, if you buy into the systemic racism theory, then if we, if we force the review process for all disciplinary action and we ensured that our statistics for discipline stayed in check with our proportions of, you know, the racial groups in, in the school, then I guess you'd manage it that way. And, and I, folks do that and they, I think they feel better about what's going on. Problem is, if, if for whatever reason the, the actual proportion of misbehavior is higher among any particular group, um, now you now you find yourself in a quandary because if you're gonna let's suppose um, black children are fighting more more in, in our current in the population we're looking at, they just factually are. If there are more fights that are started, but if you if, if that's the case, then the only way to balance that out is to to take some of the fights and just decide we're not going to discipline. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, they've, they've done these things. Well, because you can't really do that, because how do you explain that? How do you explain that Johnny got in a fight and he didn't get disciplined and Mikey got in a fight and he did? But you can't explain that. So then there's only one thing you can do. It's just you don't, you don't suspend or you don't sus expel anybody. And now when now there's, there's, no, there's no disparate impact. Nobody got expelled or suspended. They wrap that together with this belief that there is – um, you know, there's this alternative forms of, of uh, discipline you can use. They call it restorative justice. And they attempt to, you know, restore a child by making them understand how their their actions impacted other people, which I always say, that is a tool that, that probably has a place, right? Every time someone commits a crime, you don't, you don't incarcerate them. Mm -hmm. The same can be true in school. You don't have to expel every child for everything they do. But there does come a point where you, you can't take that off the table. And if we go back to your example where you got detention for chewing gum, um, I, I, you know, detention wasn't the most serious thing. So I don't know how often you were in detention for that. But Just um, the one time. One, okay. one 
Fontenelle. So that was enough for you, right? Huh? It was. There was some, I know my, I didn't, you know, the one, the time I got detention in school, it was because, it was no kidding, it was because we skipped school to do a take-home test. And, um, and then we got found out. So um, all of the honors kids were in detention one day. That was kind of fun. But there, are, uh, when I was there, I realized there were some people that maybe spent a lot more time there than me. But that yep. was detention. But when I was a kid, if somebody got expelled, like that was what we were whispering about it. That they, that they, right. so, oh God, they got expelled. And, you know, I said it. I always said if I got expelled, my dad would kill me. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think my dad would have killed me, but I kind of thought my dad might kill me. So I, I, the concept of being expelled was off the table, right? If the guys were getting rowdy, there was a point where I'm backing out. Yeah. And, and I just think that what happens, you know, we all know it. I saw it with my own kids when they were babies, how they learn how to manipulate you. Kids are smart. You know, they're smart. Mm -hmm. They're instinctively smart. They know that if they cry, mom will come running over. And as they get older, they know, they know what they're going to be able to do and get away with and not. And the result is there right now. So the, the, the powers that be in multiple areas have set us up to a point where we can't effectively discipline the behavior that's happening in school. Um, some of it is can't and some of it is won't. The mm -hmm. laws that just got passed, I would say, are in the can't. The mm -hmm. won't are the people who believe in their heart that there, that, that are whoever it is. And this is also interesting to me. The school system is systemically racist. We don't know who the people are. It's it's obviously got to be the people inside the school. And yet, you know, and I'll just say to that, I don't buy it. I don't think our principals are racist. I don't think our teachers are racist. Um, I just don't buy it. But there are a lot of people who do. So the fight is on as far as that goes. But, I mean, I'm going to tell you, how are you supposed to fix that if you can't address? So the answer is, in my mind, you address behavior. And you right. don't. Care. And when I say you don't care, I mean it doesn't matter what you, what color you are. If you've done behavior that's not acceptable at school, you should expect to get disciplined. And up until now, that's how things worked. And um, I don't see personally any way to get get this fixed unless we get back to that. You all know I love stories. I also love adventure, nature, photography, and travel. Lake and Company magazine encompasses all of that. It is a socially conscious magazine carefully curated with a give back message that supports adventure, innovation, conservation, and community built around lake culture. You guys, Lake and Company magazines are gorgeous. The photography in these issues showcases unique places and events nationwide that make me want to pack my bags and head out for adventure. Not only that, they include powerful stories from people like you here on this podcast, everyday people who do something extraordinary to make the world a little brighter. Bonus, Lake & Company magazine was created in my beloved hometown, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Head to thelakeandcompany.com and grab your subscription. That's thelakeandcompany.com. And for anyone wondering, like, how much this is really put into practice, um, uh, I do have a friend who works in, like, southwest Minneapolis area, and they were told um, as a teaching staff that they are not allowed to discipline their back, black students. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no, wasn't necessarily put in writing, but this was a conversation that was had at a yep. staff meeting because of the fear of um, 
being looked at as 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 being a, a racist school, a racist staff, yeah. and you know it it boggles my mind that that is the solution that people are seeing. You know, if you're seeing that um, the black students are being uh, disciplined more than the white, it's immediately to putting this bandaid on it. Well, let's just level the playing field. Where are the conversations of what's happening with our black student population and what's yeah. leading up to? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that they really see that as well. I, I, some probably do see it as the solution. I mean, I am absolutely blown away when we look at what's happening and, and I hear suggestions that we do more of what we're doing. You know, and I look, I, I come at this from a different angle than other people that are that are working in the school right now. And we frequently butt heads over it. Um, and but I, I have just decided that. I mean, like I, I evaluate the world a lot through my eyes, and I'm kind of a logical thinker. Mm -hmm. And here's how, I, here's where I've landed. I think restorative justice is ridiculous, and and I think the current practices we have are ridiculous. They're, I don't believe in the systemic racism problem, et cetera. But here's what I would say: if they were, if it was all working. I guess I'd have to say, like, you know, you like chocolate ice cream and I and I like vanilla ice cream. And, you know, uh, you're wrong about that. But, hey, you know, it's ice cream. It's all good. In, in this case, you know, th this stuff isn't working. And um, and so I just there's a point where you have to say, we got to stop. we got to stop doing this. And I mean, to me, we, we reached that point a long time ago. But um, but we officially we have not. But in my opinion, we have. So I would change. It. I would change it. Now, you'd say to me exactly what would I change? Well. I don't see any way out of this unless people are going to be willing to say that this idea of being called a racist has got to stop. And um, nobody, I mean, you, to the extent that people are using that to gain power over people, um, you, you know, we are just going to have to stand up to it. So, you know, for me personally, um, I'm willing to stand up to that and just say, again, I mean, and by the way, I mean, racism is unacceptable. Um, there's no, I don't know a single person that, that want that wants this to continue but if you're going to take a look at what's happening in school you just simply have to um, look at the behavior and you've got to and you've got to um, you got to deal with it kids need to know that they will be held accountable for their actions and when they know they'll stop they just will i used to you know, as an employer i remember one time we had people coming into work late and we had a lot of debate about like well what are you going to you know if they're one minute late versus two minutes late versus three minutes late and then, um, you know, how many times could a person come in late before you were going to act? And I remember distinctly somebody saying to me, well, what are you going to do? Just fire everybody for coming in one minute late? And I said, no, but I'm going to fire some people for it. And I, because I, they believed that because we had such a high incidence of people coming in one minute late or two minutes late or doing it three times a month that you'd end up having to, in their words, fire everybody. But I said, no, you won't. You'll have to fire a few. And then people will come to realize that I cannot come to work late. And I said all the time, if you can get to work one minute late, you can also get to work one minute early. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like you're coming in an hour late because your car broke, you got a flat tag. You're coming in one minute late. I'm an adult human being. If you can be there one minute late, you can be there one minute early. Okay. You can be there five minutes late, you can be there five minutes early. And, and it, the point was helping people to understand that there's an expectation for what you do and you'll be held accountable to it. And when you did, guess what happened? Most people stop coming to work late. Right. What I said. And I think the same is true of kids. If you have an expectation that if you have a fight, 
it's it's going to result in a penalty if you you know if you're dealing drugs if you're whatever the case may be there's going to be a penalty and if parents also understand that and that is the second critical ingredient that's missing by not expelling kids by not suspending kids the parents are left out of the inconvenience and i don't know about you but with my father i can remember it i can remember my dad saying if your mother ever has to call me at work when i get home you're going to be in trouble <laughs> and that's a powerful deterrent all my mom had to say was i'm going to call you that right <laughs> that was a de-escalation point and i just think the same right if they're come it won't work for every kid but it'll work for a lot of kids that if, mm -hmm. if, you're, if your parents are going to be inconvenienced they're going to be some father some mother someplace who's going to make sure their child knows you misbehave at school again and i'm not talking about physical abuse I'm talking about maybe there's some uh, there's something you enjoy. There's some there's some car use of your car. There's you know there's a trip to I don't know. You're just spending time with your friends, playing your video game. There's a consequence, right? And and you're you know you're going to suffer that consequence if you do that. And I mean that's all it takes to m make many children behave. And you know it's missing right now. Well. It's such a good point that when we hold a certain set of standards and we really believe that a students are capable of achieving those, um, mm -hmm. most of them will rise to the occasion. And yeah. what has always bothered me about restorative justice and painting any community as perpetual victims is it's incredibly condescending. And I don't think most people see it as such, but to say that somebody is um, a victim because of their skin color, how is that not racist? It's, it's, it's racist incredibly disempowering. And when I've had conversations with black friends about it, they, they're like, I am never going to tell my kid that he isn't, that he doesn't have a leg up because of his race. And I'll be damned if my school tells my child that. I am an army veteran. And I'm a big, I love America. I mean, I, I'm, I, 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 I don't cry a lot, but I, I frequently cry when the national anthem is played. If I'm at a football game or something, I, I do. I, right. Uh, I get the exact same feeling when I hear, when, when I even think about an American child of any flavor being told, that somehow they are not going to be able to be successful in their life because of because of either they're being oppressed or they're being held down or their culture is such that they're in case. It, it is so dehumanizing. And when I've spoken out about systemic racism and what I've called critical race theory principles being applied in schools, and I've been against it, and I've made people mad, and they've called me racist for saying it, and I've said, "Wow, are we are we seeing this from a total different?" you know, polar point of view, because to me, it's exactly what you said. It's absolutely dehumanizing to tell a per to say something like somebody can't because of some cultural component of their race, right? We have right. people saying that tests, doing well on tests is not within the cultural realm of some of our community. Now, coming to work or school on time, um, you know, homework, all these things, and I, I just, I'm blown away by it. I, I, I just, it really does violate every idea I ever had about the idea that that every kid couldn't achieve. Um, I, and I, I, 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to ever be willing to accept that. I know that every kid can achieve and the way you make them achieve is what you said earlier. You give them high standards and expectations. You yeah. get clear standards and expectations for their behavior in school. Child, when you walk in the doors of school, it's like the adult equivalent of work. We're here to learn today. And yeah, we're going to make it fun and engaging. But it's serious business in that sense. And that teacher has to be the person in the front of that classroom that creates both that combination of like wonder and awe and discipline and high expectations for a child that every kid is there feeling pushed to whatever their limit is, right? That's that beauty of it. It's that, it's that full potential of every child, which is different for every child. But get them, then, you know, if you're what I consider a teacher magician, it's the one that can get that out of every kid. I don't think I have that skill, but I've seen the people who can, and I'm in awe with them, you know, like, wow. And um, and so, like, when you start out the day by saying, well, Johnny, because of your background or whatever, this isn't going to be the case for you. I just, it disgusts me. It, yeah. makes me. it makes me feel agony in my heart. Like, we can't, this can't be what gets told to American children. No way. When I was teaching in St. Paul and our school population was so diverse and I was one of maybe five uh, white staff or students in, in the environment, um, there, you know, my students would constantly tell me like, well, this is how I talk at home or I swear at home. And I'm like, I get it. And when you come into this classroom, that language is not allowed. And it was one of my like proudest days when I had a student come in and say, you're the only classroom I don't swear in. It was like, yeah, because I know you're capable of watching your tongue and being respectful. I actually believe that of you. And yep. all too often, the bar is set so low. And these, these kids are capable of uh, such amazing things. And it makes me so sad that society keeps wanting to put uh, groups into a, a, a victim frequency. And, you know, for people tuning in who've listened before, I've talked about like the, the cone of, uh, of frequency. Um, if you listen to my sister, you're well aware. Um, but it's basically, you know, at the very bottom is anger, shame, fear, it's that low vibe victim mindset at the top. It's love, acceptance, you know, all the things. So the more we keep people feeling like a victim, the more they're going to vibrate at that lower frequency. And they're going to call more situations like that into their lives. Yep. It's an yep. energetic mismatch from what humans are capable of feeling and achieving. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how how we flipped into that mentality, but it's very pervasive right now in, in the system, you know? So like, I mean, when I say that I oppose that stuff, believe me, I'm not well liked for saying it, which, oh. which makes for a challenge to just even do the job that I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. But um, it's hard for me because, you know, like I've said this before. And so I've had to face down some groups of people or people saying I'm racist because I've said that. And, you know, my, my answer in my own mind first, and then I'll, I'll say it to anybody is, you know, I know my heart, God knows my heart and you can call me names, but you're not going to get in between that. Yeah. So Matt, I'll you're say what needs to be said. I'll stand up and do it. And, um, I, I wish many more in the community would stand with me and I'm really trying to encourage them to do it because I, you know, I just, everybody I talk to says, this is crazy. Why does this happen? 
Right. Because because you will not stand up and say stop this. You know, you're you leaving like, to me, and you're like, we elected Jim Atko to it. I'm like, it's great, but um, you know, uh, <laughs> one person can't turn a ship. You just can't. Yeah, and I think people just have to be comfortable enough in their own skin, as you said. God knows who you are. You know who you are, um, and I feel the same way. I, I think it, it can be scary to voice your opinion in thinking that people are going to misinterpret it. But I've gotten to the point now where I'm so clear on my heart and my intention and how that lands with other people, I can't control. And so I hope that I have, you know, that I, I put things in a way that get people to consider maybe the other side, um, because that's the point is for us to, to learn from each other and look at both sides of the coin. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've worked in five, six different schools. I didn't, I didn't encounter one racist teacher. All urban areas, rural areas, suburbs. Um, it, you know, uh, the, the definition of race. The problem is that a lot of this is is words, um, and words are words are like um, one of the most powerful tools for enacting societal change. You, 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 you it's language, right? There, there's words in our language right now that ne that you've never even heard before that are now getting used all the time, and um and and you know it's like how quickly all of a sudden you know you have to say it like we we there's this there's this term BIPOC that's just I don't even know where it came from I never heard it till like two years ago but it's, it's all over in schools and so you don't say black people or white people or now, now you say BIPOC and I don't and or Latinx. You know, it was Latino. Now it's Latin. These words came out of places I don't even know where. And um, so words matter. So racism no longer has the meaning that it used to have. Racism used to mean you thought that, you know, your own race was superior to another person's race, just purely based upon your skin color. Mm -hmm. Now racism means, I mean, I just, you disagree with the point of view. You just, I mean, right. it doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. And it, but unfortunately, it still feels like it, right? So, um you used to be called a racist. That was like the worst thing you could possibly imagine. And I'm trying to help people understand that when you're throwing, we, you know, racism used to be thrown around like a manhole cover. Now it's thrown around like, you know, people might call it to you five times in a day. For me, I just, I'm desensitized to it. Now I'm saying, well, this is the environment I'm in. If I want to push back against what's happening, I'm going to get called those names. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible. Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I don't know, secure enough in who I am to just say, oh, yeah, whatever, you call me names. But um, I, I'm looking at that achievement. I'm looking at my community's children, mm -hmm. and I want them to, and, and my country. And I know that education is critical to every single one of us. And I say, I, you know, if I got to get called names in order to try to demand that we make changes so that our education gets back on track, you can call me names. And so mm -hmm. I would tell that to anybody, go for it. Yeah, you uh, you have to develop a, a thick skin um, because people are always going to. There's going to be somebody who's going to twist twist your words or, or pull one thing out and make conclusions. And so, yeah, being self aware and knowing yourself is has got to be all the more important in your role, I imagine. Yeah. There. Um, so I want to follow up the conversation with the the school resource officers or lack thereof, I should say, yep. um, being that, you know, this is a, a state thing that passed, which 
got the the understandably so got the police force to say hey this is too risky of a deal for us we have to take them out what can parents do about that whole situation the legislature passed the law and the legislature needs to to take that part of the law out it's it's actually that simple there's a lot of conversation you know for the most part in our community people aren't angry at the police i can tell you right now the police don't deserve to be you to be angry with them for like they're saying that they just won't go in there right we've got over a 30 i don't remember how many something like 37 years of a history with in our school district with school resource officers they've been there for 37 years now now the law changes and then somebody says they just don't want to be there i mean that's crazy right so right. so no the law has to be changed and um i i'll just be direct the law got passed on a party line vote and so, um, and it and it was the Democrats who controlled who controlled the, the House and Senate, and they passed that law. Every Democrat voted for it. The Republicans did not. Um, it need, it needs to be changed. So um, at this point, since that's who's in control of our legislature, it is those people who will need to change it. And um, I, I don't know if they're going to, because I, again, I'm back to they didn't do it by accident. So um, yeah, there there started to be some groundswell of political. Um, pressure. Um, there was a question of whether the governor was going to call a special session or not. And, th and then it turned out that he didn't. Um, and there's been some promises that that's going to be looked at in the next session. Looked at was the word. I, 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 maybe I am jaded over the last three, four years of pandemic and all the things that governments of various forms across the country and locally did. I don't think looked at to me means it's going to be changed. So I sure right. hope it will be changed. I, but personally, I'm pessimistic. So right, that's well, that's alarming, and all the more reason why we need to be involved with what's going on with our legislation. Yeah. Um, it, I wanted to talk to you about one more pressing issue um, that was actually brought to my attention um, because of some a few incidences that happened in our community and it has to do with the uh the minnesota law about uh the bathroom bathroom usage in schools according to gender identity mm -hmm. and so there there might be a lot of people who don't know that according to minnesota law and i'm reading this all students, including transgender and gender non-conforming students, shall be permitted to use any and all facilities consistent with their gender identity. Transgender and gender non-conforming students will only be required to use individual and or otherwise separate facilities if every student is required to do so. So it, the reason why I learned of this lately is there was um, a person using a bathroom, a student using a bathroom um, that wasn't of their biological sex. And um, several of the other students were uncomfortable and they started telling their parents about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, upon uh, further digging, we realized this wasn't just a, uh, a district policy, but that this is a, a statewide policy. Um, <clears throat> Is this something that you see as a current issue? Are you hearing about this from parents right now? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so this is a, this is a great thing to talk about. Uh, for, first, can I ask you where when you said you read that out of statute, or where where were you reading from? Yeah, so this is from the. Um, that reads like the policy that is in place in our, in our schools. Yes, it's sorry, it's pursuant to Minnesota law. Okay, so, pursuant to good. Yes. So the the law that is being spoken to is the Minnesota Human Rights Act, and what happened was. Um, the the Minnesota Human Rights Act. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when, but it was updated in the last ten or fifteen years. And the Human Rights Act does a lot of things, but it defines, among other things, um, what what, what um, who who protected classes are in Minnesota, etc. So, uh, fairly recently, um, transgendered students became. Uh, a protected class. I, I think actually transgender in, gen in general in Minnesota became a protected class under the Minnesota Human Rights Act. Um, our school district, being the largest in the state, gets, um, I don't want to say frequently, but has been sued in the past. Uh, depends how you look at it. So this is Matt's point of view. We get sued because we're the biggest school district in the state. Uh, large corporations, I can think of a really big retail company get sued frequently because they're they, they're one of the biggest companies in the world. The same thing happens to any you know in in schools. So in our state we're we're a big school district. So a lawsuit happened in our school district uh, recently where a transgender student sued the school district for um for forcing that person into to um actually what it was was to just use a non-gendered bathroom. Right. That wasn't the student offered a, a separate their yeah. own bathroom. Yeah, they were offered their own, but the but that student, um, the, what they sued for was that they did they didn't think they should have to do that. They should they should have been able to use the bathroom of their of their sex of their sex. Um, you know, in their case, they they were transgendered, so they wanted to be able to do that. And um, our school district had had taken you know this was you know things move forward through through time, right? So you go from you know where we were two hundred years ago to today. So um, up until that time. Our school district was not doing anything that I get. I don't know this factually, but I'm just going to venture a guess. We weren't doing anything anybody else was doing or wasn't doing. One of the situation was a transgendered student. Um, them being, they, they they were they were in a locker room, um, you know, and it made some kids uncomfortable. So they made this accommodation that they let them change in a in a, a non-gendered locker room, but that was unacceptable to the person. So they sued the school. School district fought that. Um, they took rather than settle. Sometimes when you get sued, you settle. Mm -hmm. They didn't settle. They took it to court. They lost the court. Um, they appealed it. They lost the appeal. The next appeal would have had to be to, I think, I, I believe to the Supreme Court or whatever the next highest court. But I mean, we were already at appellate court, so it would have been, it would have been mm -hmm. the state Supreme Court. And then the, and then the school district reversed course and settled. When they settled, part of the settlement agreement they signed, and you can find the settlement online. Um, so you can you can you can actually read the court documents that the school district signed, but part of the settlement required them to um, to create the policies word word for word the way it's created. So that 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 language in the district's policy was mandated by the settlement, mm. and is actually um, unable to be changed, I believe, uh, until June of 2024. So next year it would be able to be changed. I mean, the words right now can't be changed. Settlement would end the the period of time where it could be changed would be till then. Now, 
the effect of it is somewhat like, I'd say, like how Roe v. Wade used to work out, that the courts made a decision and then the impact of that was somewhat to create law. Um, based upon the decision that, by, um, in that case, it was determined that to not allow transgendered students to use the bathroom of their preference was in violation of the Minnesota Human Rights Act. And because that never got appealed to the Supreme Court, you know, we just have to, we have to, at this point, the law becomes what was, what was sort of settled out in that, in that case. So actually the, 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 the lawsuit that got settled in Anoka Hennepin resulted in that interpretation of the law applying everywhere now. So, and you're right. I, I can't find very many people who know that the district settled it. It mm -hmm. happened in March of 2021. And I can't find very many people statewide who understand the impact. So I, I interact with a lot of school board members in different areas. Most of them are like, oh, yeah, we don't have that here. I'm like, oh, yeah, you do. No, no, we, we don't. Well, you, you may not yet. But, I mean, what, what we're saying is that the, 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 the court ruled that, the, that to discriminate in that way is, is against the Minnesota Human Rights Act. So um, you would assume that if you did that, you would immediately be sued. And we know all the way up to the appellate court ruling would say that you can't. So the only way that could get adjudicated now is if somehow it got to the Supreme Court. To my understanding, I'm not aware, but to my understanding, it's the only way it could that part of it could be changed now. Mm -hmm. And you're right; people do not know it. They don't, and I, I think you know a lot of people might hear this conversation, debate, or, or people talking about it, and think, "Okay, but you know." You're, if, if there's some sort of worry about this, then you're equating uh, transgenders to some sort of, uh, you know, um, predator, which I, I think I just want to say very clearly, um, that's not, that's not the, the worry with this specific policy. I don't yeah. think the, the, the average person who I've ever talked to uh, doesn't equate transgenders with predators. So let's just uh, make that transparent. Yeah. But what it does do is it opens uh, this complete gray area. And I think we can all acknowledge that sexual predators do exist in high schools. They exist in middle schools, and they even exist in elementary schools, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, but what happens when you have uh, easy access to if you are a sexual predator and you are a male and you have easy access to a female bathroom, um, you have unbridled access to basically just come and go as you please. Because if you read the policies, um, claiming to be transgender is very subjective. And so a person could at any point claim that they're going to do this. And, and I understand the pushbacks, people going to say, why well, don't I don't think that's happened or I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen or I'm not worrying about that. I'm not worried about that happening. Um, there was recently a teen charged with sexual abuse in Loudoun County in Virginia. Um, I'm not saying this person was transgender or not, but the reality is this was a male entering female spaces. Mm -hmm. And so when we give permission for people to do so, to sexual predators to do so, um, these kinds of things are going to happen more and more. And you better believe these people will take advantage of it because we look at uh, sexual predators in society, many of them 
will go toward a career where they have easy access to children, pedophiles, uh, whether it's a scout trooper or in the clergy or in teaching. You see this on the news all the time. A lot of times sexual predators will go to spaces where they have easier access. So you, you, have, you have those concerns and we can, we can set them in place. Mm-hmm. I think the other is the whole conversation and the action is leading to what I've termed, not others have termed it, but what, what you call, what many of us call just the sexualization of our kids. Mm-hmm. And then it gets twisted, right? So um, man, you've seen it all over the news. Many parents are opposed to certain books that are in school. And uh, one side of that issue wants to say you're you're opposed to teaching about homosexuals or whatever, and and but the real the real reality is people don't they don't want the strong sexual content, right? There there don't appear to be these kinds of books with the strong sexual content being injected into the school right now that is heterosexual. I mean, uh, and I'll I'll just speak for myself in this case. I would object to it in 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 actually precisely the same way. Of course. It's not for me saying it's a homosexual or LGBTQ thing. It's just I don't want my child being sexualized at school. Absolutely. Period. End of discussion. I want to deal with those issues at my house. I, I will tell you that, you know, a, a, uh, I've never taken a poll, but I just, I've never, I've not actually run into. So if you're out there and you want to come and tell me, I'm wrong, go ahead. But I, the people I talk to over and over and over again, they all feel the same way. It's just that they're uncomfortable with this hypersexualization that's happening, right? Like yep. I, I was looking at something online and it happened in one of our schools. They were bringing this pronoun conversation into the thing. And, you know, they got into this big debate about whether the schools were going to tell parents or not tell parents some of these things. And it just get back. I'm like, it's the first, I'm trying to picture the setup in this classroom. It's the first day of school. And, and right. And we, we've hardly even said hello. And we're already putting in front of kids, this, this content. And it, you know, it's, there's, Depending on how you feel about it, your religious beliefs, your moral belief, whatever the case may be, I don't really care where people develop their sense of morality. Why do we need to put schools front and center in this conversation? You know, I talk about it all the time with change at work. I say, you know, do you want to be bleeding edge? Do you want to be leading edge? Do you want to be trailing edge? And I'm normally a person who says, you know, I don't prefer to be bleeding edge on anything. We are bleeding edge with our children right now in schools with all of these issues. And most people do not want that to happen. And they're, they don't, they don't know how it's like, who brought this on us? It's clear that a group who's in control right now has brought it on us and people feel powerless to stop it. Because once again, when Matt speaks about this, you know, the names that are going to be called. And, um, and it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's from people that don't even know me. And I'm, you know, the reality is my heart goes out to have a lot of sympathy for people dealing with all kinds of these different issues. And I'm really like a big believer that every human being's, this is my religious belief. You're all, we're all created in the, in the image and likeness of God. So, um, you, you know, no, every person has value inherently. And, and that doesn't mean everything we do is perfect and good. I mean, we're capable of doing it. We'll leave all that conversation to the to the side. I know every kid who comes into school deserves to be treated with respect and dignity, mm-hmm. etc. I also know it is possible to do that 
without injecting the whole environment with this conversation. Why do I know that? Because I've, I've, I have worked with people of different religions than me, of different sexual orientation than me, of different sex than me, etc. My whole life, I've never had the need to have all kinds of conversation with them about it in my workplace. And I was able to adequately get to know them enough to build strong relationships with them and bond with them and do all these things. But, you know, it's not a regular part of my job to have conversation with people about anything related to sexual anything. And yet in our schools of all places, we're having this conversation constantly. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people or I've heard the argument that, you know, people don't there are students who don't feel safe at home and teachers want to provide a safe space. Um, And to that, you know, parents will call. Sorry, staff will call home. If you have a kid that is disrupting your classroom, you're going to call home and you're going to call home whether or not you're aware that the that adult that parent is going to take um consequences to an nth degree with that student mm-hmm. or they're going to be a little more lenient and so it, it it goes back to the argument that it is not our job to parent like we it's we not. have uh we have you know the information let's say I'm a teacher I have a student who's disruptive in my class I'm not going to not call home because I'm fearful of what's going to happen on the other side. I mean, that's an unfortunate reality, but you can't, you can't know that. And you can't also operate from uh, believing that schools have a, a moral role that supersedes the family unit. Because that's just not accurate. They've stepped in in many cases in that case. So again, these these folks believe in their heart. I think that they're doing the right thing for kids. But the problem is, and this is this is the whole parental rights movement, which I consider myself to be a part of, is to say it it really doesn't matter how you feel about what you think is going to happen at home. I mean, of course, you've been a teacher, you understand that. You know, if you're aware of a situation at home, you got to report it. Yeah, and you need to. But to just decide. It, it, that that's the case with no evidence. And again, if you had evidence, you need to report. No. And so that is, that's a clear overstepping of the boundary. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, they've, they've made a persuasive argument. Uh, that m- many of much of this conversation is centered around um, really powerful and awful emotional things, suicide. And so, you know, people are so they're petrified of that. Uh, and, you know, right. Right. Rightfully so, but um, all of those things are not reason to take decision making about children out of the hands of parents. And it's you know, but it just comes down to whether you believe that or not. So I'm I'm one who believes literally there is there is nothing, not a single thing happening in the life of my child that as his parent I do not have, I am not privy to. Mm-hmm. And um, until a court takes that away from me, um, which will not happen to me unless I am hurting a child. Um, I, whether, whether you think I'm making good decisions or not, it's my right. So we could debate this into, you know, infinity, right? Maybe I think poor decisions means letting your kids stay up past 10 o'clock. Maybe I think it means letting them drink Pepsi Cola, whatever that maybe you know, playing football, whatever it is, you, you just, you, there, it's, it's a never ending slope. And I know some will say, wow, you're making an extreme. No, I'm not. Every single decision about a child gets to be made by its parents unless the court has determined it isn't. And that's, I mean, I'm proud to say that. That's the way it works. And for those who think that they have some 
duty or right to step in the way. I, I, I think they're sadly mistaken. And that the law's on my side. It's on all of our side. But that doesn't change the fact that it is happening. Yeah, and what what happened from, you know, in years past, for the longest time, it was the school counselor that dealt with students who were having any sort of um, issues going on at school. And listen, I wrote my capstone in my master's program on social emotional learning. I know uh, I know about the curriculum in trying to teach the student as a whole. And as somebody who practices like holistic practices, uh, I use holistic modalities, I meditate, I do chiropractic, all kinds of things. I get seeing the student as a whole. Um, and when it starts to uh, push ideologies that families are not okay with, um, there's a, a clear line in the sand that that people aren't seeing eye to eye on. And I, I just don't know how we rectify that because I think, you know, I, I know that most all teachers, their intentions or who's ever creating these policies, their intentions are pure and that they want all kids to feel safe, feel included. I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these conversations are doing the opposite for many students. Well, yeah, because, you know, um, so I, I, I'm a Catholic Christian, and so in my house, um, I, I'm teaching my kids those values that are derived through my faith. And I'm not getting going to get into homosexuality or other. I'm just going to say that, you know, like marriage and family and these things are important components. So I just want to be able to then send my kid to school to be educated. And it's not that he, it's not that he can't be exposed to different ideas. I mean, I'm not naive to the fact that there are other religious faiths, but uh, but when it comes to placing a child in a position where they have to make judgments about things, and we just use again, we're back to the language, right? Like I've said this before that we use this word ally. So you're, you're if you're if you're supportive of people that are transgendered or LGBTQ, you're an ally. What's the opposite of an ally? You know, and so so you're going to put a child in the position where they have to either be an ally, which and the definition of ally is you are, you know, 100 percent all in. Or, and I'm back to like, how come I can't just go to school and not declare allyship or not allyship? Just be kind, literally and respectful to everybody. But don't ask me to like if we kept it a little more simple. I always say it. Just I'm not a Lutheran. So don't don't ask me to wear a Lutheran shirt. Because I'm not one, but I, I don't hate Lutherans, I promise you. I just am not one. So I, I'm not going to wear one that's like Lutheran ally just because I, I mean, I get, you know, it is, okay, just say a Democrat or Republican or just say it, whatever, you know. Like, don't put kids in an environment where they have to do that because the, the, the manipulation of a child is so easy to do that there's no way they can handle the pressure. And what I like to say is I can't find adults who can handle this pressure. If somebody in your neighborhood start challenging you there, most of the adults would, whoa, they back, they freak out. They would not want to have that challenge. And then we're going to put it in school and we're going to force it to happen. And I just, it's just so wrong. And that's why I, you know, like I said, well, I ran and, and I said I was a conservative. I am, but I am not, I don't have any desire to put 
conservative values, if you will. I just want I just want to pull that stuff all out of there so that both sides can just have equal access to this community good, which is public school. And it's kind of funny because by default, if I do that, then I am in the, for some I am I am applying like conservative value. You know, like the absence of being able to do this means that I just think that's bizarre too. But right. not, I don't think we're going to agree on that point. But the, you know, that that is where we are right now. So uh, what can be done then at a district level when that is, you know, as far as bathrooms, because I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of people that they're very uncomfortable with this policy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think about some people, the issue for them is the little kids and for others, it's high school and, or, yeah. or middle school age, because that is where, you know, kids are so vulnerable and coming to their own. Um, what is it that parents can do about this? Is there a push to have individual bathrooms? I don't even know yeah. what's possible. I, th I think the, uh, I've, I've thought about this a lot. And as of today, I will tell you that the only thing I can think of to do is to have individual bathrooms across the board. Um, because the way that the law works, you can't, you cannot force anybody to use an individual bathroom unless everybody is forced to use an individual bathroom. That's mm. the way law says it. So you can make them, first of all, we can make individual bathrooms available. And in doing so, either a transgender student could use that or a student who is uncomfortable with sharing space in that way could also use it. Um, or, But the only way to you know completely stop that from happening is you have to have individual bathrooms for everybody. And um, What is the likelihood uh, it, of that? Well, <laughs> it will cost millions upon millions of dollars. Right. And however, I mean, you know, I, I am not one who has on my own mind. I, first of all, I have not seen how many millions, but a little bit of me says, well, I don't know if I need to care how many millions. You know, I, I guess I would I would be willing to run the numbers and put that out to a vote to the community. It would be a bond referendum from the school district. Do you want to spend X million? And I, I don't know whether I'm talking about 50 or 500 million. I right. suspect it's a huge number. And then we could put that out to the community for a vote and say, do we want to retrofit every one of our bathrooms to be that one? Um, I, I, I don't know how much that'll cost, but I mean, frankly, I, I think that if you, if you actually want to solve this problem under the current law, that's the, it's the only way you're going to, that's the only way you can kind of bring things back to that is to just mm -hmm. say we're going to have that. Mm -hmm. So it seems as though a lot of the problems at the micro level and at the district level really come back to the state laws. The state government, like all government, has over time really eroded the power of what used to be known as or still is known as, but actually used to be a thing, the independent school district. And I mean, that's that's another big problem. You know, the local government, well, you know, I... We used to teach civics, so I know that local government was a big part of you know the whole the whole theory, which was that I'm just like this now. You know, I've never met you. It turns out we're neighbors. You can actually talk to me as your school board representative, and um, I've never talked to I, I've talked to our congressman once, and uh, I've never talked to the president. You know what I mean? So the whole idea is that locally we can work out in our own community what the way things work. Well, that that gets tossed to the side when the state and the federal government create state and federal policy that impacts you. And in this case, you know, you, it, it, the, the state law right now is, is where it is. And that is what's driving us to be here. Now we might've gotten here anyway, because maybe we would have had a, a maybe the elected representatives of our schools would have decided to do this anyway. But the nice thing about that would be we could, 
locally decide that's not acceptable to us and elect somebody. But it's being handled at the state level. And incidentally, it's not that way at every state. That's the thing that's so crazy to me because the people who agree with all these things, they speak about them as though they are absolute truths. Yet all over America, these issues, all every issue we talked about today is being hotly debated and handled differently in every state. So that's the other unfortunate. When I talk about bleeding edge, you could be debating all these issues in the public square without impacting your schools. It could be done. But it, but it's crazy because in every case, they put it right in there. So schools are front and center. You know, our children are dealing with a person of, the, of a different gender being in their classroom. But you're not dealing with it at work. You're not dealing with it at the restaurant or the mall or anything, anywhere else. But you are dealing with it there. I, I, I really think that's sad. It's not the right way to do it. One of the things that I was curious about, too, is I know we don't have any school board positions opening up right now, but... Um, well, actually, we do. Sorry, not for our... Yes, there's some within the district, but yeah. what I meant is people within our community can't vote. Yeah. Because it's... A, okay. So... What can I do, say, when I live in Andover and we have people um, that are, I know people in other communities where they're going to be electing a new school board member that is going to affect, what are some things that people can do to feel empowered and and get involved in this process? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, as a person who ran a school board campaign, I can tell you that the the campaigns take a few different things. One, they they, unfortunately, they take money. Now, my race was crazy. We spent almost $30,000. Most state house races don't spend that much, but it happened. Um, and so um, the races are getting more expensive. So all, all the candidates, the three that are running that, that think like like me, uh, they need money. Um, and you can donate, an individual can donate six hundred up to $600, and a married couple can donate up to 1200 So that's one thing. And then and then, they, then you need you need. You need people. You need um, to win campaigns. You have to. Um, you have to. It's a ground game. So you have to um, knock on a lot of doors and, and give people your literature and talk to them. Um, and um, it's not just the candidate. You typically will try to get 30, 40 people together on a Saturday and go out and just knock the door. And it's, it's it feels uncomfortable. You just hand out the literature and you say, "I'm supporting this person for school board." And frankly, that's about all you got to do. So that, that, you know, that's something else that you can do. And then the other is um, encourage people, you know, who live in those areas, make sure they vote. The, the, these elections are super low turnout. Mm. Um, and that's by design, by the way, unfortunately. But, you know, the only thing that's going to be on the ballot this year in a couple places is going to be the school board election. And so many people will just choose not to vote. So it becomes wow. a game of whether you can get people to vote. So if you have people that are passionate for whatever reason, you get, and they live in those areas, you got to make sure they vote. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's great advice. Uh, Matt, I have taken up so much of your time today, but I am so thankful for you um, carving out some time for me and and for the audience. Uh, this was so informative. I think it's going to generate a lot of great conversation. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful for the service that you're doing and, and who you are. I appreciate that. Yeah, I enjoy it. So um, if anybody has questions or, or things, you know, I'm not too hard to find. So yeah. everybody always finds me. So, you know, but don't, don't hesitate to do it. I'm a real person. And I like to talk to the people in our community. So that's what I'm here to do. Awesome. And in and, and additional ways to connect with you, they'll be available in the uh, 
the, the, the bio, the show notes. So. Okay, super. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day.